G'day everybody and welcome to another Step Outside with Paul Burt podcast. So put your headphones on, sit back and relax as we take in our second episode of 2021. What a surprisingly different year this has been. Uh, My background, uh, well, I guess it's Channel 7 weather around this amazing country of ours, whether it's extreme or calm or flat or rough, we get put into those situations. But my main passion is, of course, fishing, hence the reason whilst I'm here, I'm going to be talking to you about some of the uh, the background stuff that I love to do, and hopefully that, uh, I guess, will educate you guys and help you improve your fishing sessions. Step Outside with Paul Burt is a baby that our family have come up with. It's about it's a fishing show that takes us abroad around this amazing country, but we keep it simple. So if you've seen it, thank you for watching. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Seven mate around the country every Saturday and Sunday. Check your local guides. Fishing forensics is my topic, okay? But it also encompasses a lot of different things because wherever you are fishing, If you're fishing in a small creek or a river, a major tidal area where it's a shipping channel, a bay, offshore, underwater seamounts, freshwater impoundments, high dams, anything like that will have tidal movement. Yes, a dam has tidal movements due to the moon phase, more so the wind. In fact, as the wind pushes across a dam, the water on one side will lower a touch and the water will then increase in height on the other creating a fishing area where the fish will feed. So little things like that I can talk to you about. But what I'd like to show you and talk to you about to start with is a little clip that I've done up uh, for our Step Outside show that you guys can sit back at home now, uh, grab some food, grab a drink for a few minutes and have a look at this because it is something that, that I love and I'm passionate about. You don't need a boat, okay, to go fishing in a lot of these areas, boats are great. We're at a virtual boat show, okay? But in case you don't have one, maybe it's too windy and you wanna get into that lee side of a sandbank or a creek bank or anything like that, you can actually put this to the test and catch some good fish. And it is called Fishing Forensics. Take a look at this and I'll be back in a few minutes and we'll get into our presentation. at to start with is where stingrays are lying. Stingrays are in the area, you'll see here, there's a lot of stirred up sand. He's in there somewhere, I don't want to go in the middle, could get stung. But what happens is they're sifting up all of the yabbies out of the sand, out of the holes. Brim aren't stupid, neither are whiting or flathead. So they'll come into these areas and congregate through this silted up sand. They'll have the element of surprise against any yabby that that stingray misses. I'm gonna keep moving because there's more forensic signs that you wanna know to catch more fish. So this is another prime example. Have a look at all the flats up here. We've got mangroves. It's going from around two or three feet of water into channels. This is what we're looking for. And if you can see just here, these ripples. So what this water's doing on the run out tide is it's draining off those flats into the deeper water. So anything that's sitting up there needs to come out. Little whiting, crabs, prawns, shrimp, anything like that needs to come off those flats. And when they hit the deeper water, that's where you want to be fishing. 
So for me, with those small hardy heads I've previously caught, I'm gonna hook him up under the jaw, and we're gonna go and try our luck. I'll show you how to hook him up. Underneath the fish's jaw, under here, there's a clear spot, right in there. Use your index finger and thumb to clamp his gills closed, otherwise his head will tilt back and you'll kill him. Go underneath through the clear and up, out through the top of his head, but be sure not to go out through his brain. And that is it. I've got that little loop here that's gonna allow that hook to have a bit of freedom. And he is just gonna swim around nice and easily. Water running off, nice little drain straight out here. it. Now keep my drag tight but not too tight, not too loose. So all I'm going to do is wind in slowly here. Wind in slowly. It basically just allows that bait to be pulled back in across and you're working the ground a lot easier. A bait caster is a really good outfit to use because you can free spool it straight away when you feel the knock. When you feel the knock, you can feel the difference here. The rod tip's bouncing as I pull it in across the sand. That's just the sinker and the bait running through the little mounds. But what I'm trying to do here is bring it in front of a fish's face. And you'll feel that bang. Stop immediately, give him some line, count for about 15, 20 seconds, and that way he'll turn the fish around in his mouth and you'll be able to hook him a lot easier. When you get it in close, just move up a bit and cast again. As soon as you feel that bang, just wind it a touch. You'll feel the bang a bit more and the line will want to pull back. So at this stage here, you can release a bit of line if you want to. And just use it like a handline. Feel what's happening. This is where a bait cast would be really handy, like a little Corrado, the ideal. But when you get that, hook him up. You either have them or you don't. Nice bit of bait. Oh, still got some bait there. He's still there hanging around. See, what a lot of the fish do, particularly the flatties, the brim, you'll know what happens with the brim. They bang, bang, bang. But with the flathead, you've got to think, if you swallowed a fish tail first, all of the barbs, all of the fish's spines are going to go and get caught up in its throat. So they tend to turn it around head first so it goes down to the gullet much easier. So if you hooked up instant strike, you're going to pull the fish out of the fish's mouth. You're going to miss the flathead. So just give him some time to turn it around. It's pretty hard to do because, gotcha. There's only a little one, but it's a fish. And you saw the size of that bait I had on before. Yeah, buddy, I'm not going to get you. He's taking that right down. But we'll get him off. Here we go. Go get your mama buddy. Sorry to bleed on you, but you spiked me. Here you go. Let's get into this presentation now where I'm going to be talking to you about fishing pressure points because the pressure points is a forensic. It's the breakdown of what to look for when you're fishing in an area that you may not be accustomed to. I'll just step over here now. So, what makes a pressure point? Well, it's quite simple. Just about anything that's under the water, 
near the surface of the water that has some sort of tidal influence creates a pressure point. Wrecks make a fantastic pressure point. They're sitting under the water. Of course, generally a wreck will occur by hitting a rock. It could be a trawler, a deep sea trawler that's trawling their nets. And of course, with that, they get caught up on their um, reef and wreck. Siri, sit on down. Uh, and basically, you're going to see... There is nothing to read, Siri. But there is something there that we can find is that when you are fishing these wrecks, is that a lot of fish do make it their home. This is in Tasmania. This is an area that we fish. And surprisingly, southern bluefin tuna you'll catch in there in excess of 100 kilograms. Magnificent spot. But that's a pressure point because you get a lot of wind, you get a lot of movement, you get a lot of upwellings hitting that ginormous rocky outcrop creating turbulent water. Hence the reason why we see a lot of very large tuna in that area. Channels also make pressure points. This particular one here is a very good uh, area where you can go and actually catch some decent fish on that there. You can see by the movement of the water. You can see by it being calm out the back, but in here is turbulent. That's a really good pressure point. Rocks at low tide, they sit out of the water like this, but at high tide, they become a pressure point as well. As the current moves in around them, you get small turbulent waters. You may not catch a large mulloway or a jewfish or anything like that, but what you will get are other species, maybe a smaller bread and butterfish, your whiting, your flathead, and of course, your brim. Bommies. I love my surfing. So when you're out in an ocean, you find an underwater seamount or a bommie that comes up pretty close to the surface, you'll see the wave breaking. But on the back end of that, before the wave breaks, you'll see the upwelling. And that, again, is a pressure point. And that's where your fish will sit. We'll get into that later as to why. Same as reefs. There's so many pressure points. And if you can incorporate that knowledge to wherever you are fishing around the world, you instantly find a pressure point. It's the same as sandbanks. And even a tree can make a pressure point or a dam can make a pressure point. Anchoring up on pressure points can be a little bit difficult. But the simple fact is if you're on a wreck and the wreck has hit a bommy way back on its nets and it has sunk, or maybe the boat's just got a hole in it and it has sunk down onto the sand. You don't want to anchor up on the wreck because you're going to scare the fish, right? So clearly a sand anchor or a downforth anchor is going to be best. But also be aware of the chain because the chain is going to create noise. Fish such as mulloway or jewfish have very acute hearing. Therefore, as the chain drops down, the fish will become accustomed to knowing that their friend in their school is getting pulled up when they get hooked up. So they become very wary and they'll shy away. So try putting a chain guard, being a plastic piece of PVC over the chain, and that'll stop the rattling. You'll increase your fishing hookups as well. Using a spot lock such as your Minn Kota. Minn Kotas, you can go right up. Even the Garmin uh, electric engines are fantastic. You can go up to 120 or 130 pounds, 36 volts. In fact, the Garmin, you can drop down to 18 volts and it'll drop down to 80 pound pressure. So you can have that uniformity of having two different grades of poundage on your, uh, on your spot locks. And you can put them on bigger boats. 
That's a great way to be out in the ocean if a tuna are below you, instead of dropping an anchor down in 200 feet of water when the fish are moving around, you can spotlight right on top of the bait fish. What a great idea that is. Always watch the weather. My role has been for Channel 7 over the past you know, 20 odd years, uh, particularly in Queensland, has been to do with weather, uh, and particular boating weather, and doing a lot of their coastal expert stuff for, the, for Channel 7 around Australia. So we get put into situations where it does get a bit dicey and dodgy. But what we do see here is make sure that you watch the tide on a weather change. Because when a weather change comes and the tide is pushing against the current, the sea can get very ugly very, very quickly. You don't want to get caught out in that. One thing I do uh, and have seen over the years is that people out there have actually anchored up on the stern of their boat. Never do that. If you anchor up on the stern of your boat, you're going to be pulling the boat backwards into the current. That's not a good thing. Boats are designed to go forward, okay? So you have a slicing bow that spreads the wave, which is really, really important. The back of the boat is blunt. Therefore, it's not going to spread the wave, is it? It's going to create pressure, pull the boat backwards. If you're driving your anchor off, like this guy here, as you drive off, your boat is getting pulled down. That's how a trawler gets pulled under the water. If they get their nets caught up, okay? the boat will list to the side, wave comes over the back, down they go, quite simple. Always drive your boat forward off the cleat with your bow into the waves and pull it back off the actual sand and you'll do well there. Make sure you read the water as to what's happening as well. That's a very important part. When you are reading the water, understand what the weather's doing because here you can see it nice glassy day. It's a gorgeous day. And out here, we've got a weather change coming. And that weather change signifies that something is disastrously bad on the way. And that could also be anything from here, as you can see, the clouds are coming in, you'll get a wind squall, you'll get some rain coming through with that, and that'll make it for dangerous conditions quite quickly. If you're on a smaller boat, say a four or six meter boat, you're out in the middle of the bay, or maybe out you know, 20 or 30 kilometers out in the sea, and that wind change comes through, what's going to happen is you're going to be left in the middle of a very dangerous situation. Understanding the weather, understanding power points, understanding pressure points is going to be key for you to a successful day out in the water. Okay, look and locate. This is a really cool one here. Um, have a look at this, I'll play it for you. Waves are sucking up on a bank. It's creating turbulent water in the background. The birds are here. To me, that screams fish straight away. That's a great fishing spot. I'd be casting my lure into this area here. I wouldn't be throwing something too big, probably a small metal lure, maybe about 40 to 80 grams. And I think you'd be getting probably Australian salmon and tailor in that region. So it's a very good spot to try as that water pushes across the bank and creates that pressure point. Again, a very key part of where you wanna go out to. When you have a look at the bottom structure on your sounder, sounders are a really key, important part to when you are fishing. And if you don't do it right, you're gonna be coming absolutely unstuck, which is not a cool thing. There's so many different sounders out there now, and recently I had the, uh, the, the I guess, the, the privilege of using a Garmin live scope. I was up fishing in Gladstone along the Capricornia coast of Queensland with a guy by the name of Justin Nye, and he is a, a Garmin angler, and he fishes for Barramundi, and some of you guys down in Victoria might know a dam called Awonga Dam. 
Generally, a Wonga Dam is known for big barra, okay? Uh, and then they get mangrove jacks and all these other species in there too, but the barramundi can be quite large. And what happens is when you fish during the summer months, you find the fish quite easily. They're working on the surface, they're buffing up all the bait, etc. But during winter, barramundi are known to become very dormant, very quiet, very slow, very lethargic. But with this Garmin live scope, I've never seen it before, uh, and you'll see it on our show uh, in a couple of weeks on Step Outside with Paul Bird around the country on 7 Mate. Um, check your local guides for the times. Football sort of buggers it up here and there. Um, but have a look at it because during winter, we're looking on this live scope, the Garmin live scope, and you can see the barramundi sitting in the snags. You can see the head, you can see the scales, you can see their mouth, you can see their fins and tails. You can see your lure cast straight directly into the fish's area. And as you twitch that lure back, you see the barramundi come out and he buffs it straight away. You actually are fighting the fish and watching it in real time. I sort of understand why my kids love the PS4 because you know, you're looking at the sounder as you're fishing, so it's a little bit different, but um, hey, it's new technology. You gotta get in it. Um, and as you can see here uh, with Ryan Moody stuff is that you've got a rock here, you've got bait, and of course you've got some bigger fish around it. This is an area that we fish generally. It's only in 45 meters of water, but have a look at this structure here. Again, the current is moving across. The current is heading south. So we've got bait sitting in front of this rock. We've got a few fish up here, but we've got some bigger fish sitting out here. And that's again where you want to be fishing. You don't want to sit on the back end because that's where you get other fish. Generally your tuna, your, your sharks, all those sort of things there. And if we jump into the next one, Press play on that, there we go. This is another one in the deeper water off Tasmania. And this area here is, we're about 200 meters north of a rock ledge. But have a look at that, it's actually 161 meters deep. Uh, we're catching striped trumpeter, the very large ones. And, uh, and that's the fish on the bottom. Again, 100, 150 meters north of where the rock ledge is. So that's quite amazing to see how that. Better rod placement. Now, if you've got a boat like that, you know, that's pretty, pretty cool. And I'm sure you've seen a few boats like that as well. A lot of American boats have more rod holders in them than a porcupine. For the simple fact is they're really geared up well when they're out there targeting fish such as tuna um, or, or bigger mackerel wahoos and, and of course dorados, things like that. They just want to put the rod in the holder, okay? You don't want to be walking around the front of the boat to the back of the boat knowing that you've got a, an eight metre boat or a six metre boat and you've only got three rod holders on it. That is ridiculous, okay? Put more rod holes in it. If it's an aluminium boat, fair enough, you can drill it out. If it's a glass boat, drill it out as well. But it's all about different angles, of course, on where that rod butt is facing, okay? You wanna make sure that your rods aren't all facing this way. You wanna have one sort of off skewed a bit to another. It makes a big difference. And again, you don't wanna be at the front of the boat racing down here to put your rod there when you've got a holder there. You can put it in there and then race down, otherwise you'll fall AOT and that's not cool sort of explains it a little bit better here as well. If you're fishing on different angles, you can drop your rods and cover more ground, cover more space. So when you are fishing those pressure points, it's really key and important to understand that, okay, I've got a six meter boat. I've got, what, 2.4 meters of, of width. You're only allowed to tow a 2.5 meter trailer around this country. So you've got 2.4 metres of, of boat, and then you've got to say a six foot rod, so you can then get another couple of metres on either side. So you're spreading the love, you're spreading more area across the actual ground or the bottom, therefore covering more area to catch more fish. This is called down tiding, and 
When you think about it, it makes sense. If you put your anchor up front, again, we'll go back to that wreck analogy. You put your anchor up front, what's going to happen is you're going to scare the fish out, okay? They're going to sort of just, just sort of move away. So you want to cast your line up and then follow it back down. Cast it up and let the current drag it back down. That's why you see a lot of guys there and they'll flick upstream, not using too much of a lead, flicking upstream, feeding out the line. By the time the current takes it down, it's going to be right beside the boat. And that's when you're going to, get, going to get the optimum bite. If you cast it out the back, your line's not going to get to the bottom. You're letting out too much line, becomes too much drag because there's too much current. Okay, so it all works in a weird but a wonderful way. So make sure that you cast upstream and just change the weight to vary the depths that you're fishing and of course the current flow at that time. This is an effective burly trail. Um, old Chuckles here, what he's got, he's got his line going down, okay, he's got his burly bomb there, the fish are coming up and he's catching fish. But a good way that I like to tell people about using a burly bomb is quite fascinating for me because I like to put it in a bucket with some wire, fill it up with a lot of fish frames, snapper frames, salmon frames, tailor frames, whatever it might be, and freeze it. And then when you go fishing, take the bucket out, time you get out to sea, it's thawed out a bit, pull out that wire cage out of the bucket, tie it up to your anchor rope and drop it down. So basically your burly bomb then sits up the front on the anchor of the boat and all that burly comes out the back here. I think if you have this line coming down like a general burly bomb you can buy, is you're going to find if you hook onto a decent fish, generally they're quite smart and they'll wrap around it six times and you bust it up. So try and put your uh, burly cage onto your anchor rope. Give it a crack. I reckon you'll come up trumps. Gear selection. This is a really important one because it depends what you like. Um, for me, overheads are, are really key important to a uh, necessity of fishing. I love the overhead. This particular one here is a Torium 16. Oh, it's actually a 20 HG. I've got a Therese, uh, 30 to 50 pound outfit here at Shimano. And I, I like it for the simple fact is that it, I can hide it and hold it in my hand. It's quite simple. Beautiful drag system on these as well. So it's not a lever drag. Okay, it is a star drag, but I can adjust everything here at the drop of my and the touch of my hand, the drop of my finger. So if the fish starts to running away, I can easily just hook him up here and strike and you can get hooked up. If you're going to be trawling, you can just set your drag either a little bit less or a little bit more, whatever you like to suit the current or the actual pressure of that lure going through the water. If it's a deep bib, clearly a larger bib, you need to have a little bit more drag set on it, but not too much, so the rod breaks or the, or the line will bust up. But having that direct feel allows you to control what the bait is doing as well. We're going to get into that shortly because that's a really important part of fishing and I'll get into these rigs so you guys can understand back at home while you're sitting down, probably having dinner, maybe having a beer. Either way, if you're having a beer, have one for me, please. As long as it's not VB. Um, anyway, um, spinning reels. Um, these ones here are pretty good as well. Uh, that's the bait runner, okay? They come in a variety of sizes uh, and different brands, models these days as well. But I've got to take the hats off to a dear old friend of mine, good old JD, John Dumpy from Shimano. Uh, he's not with us anymore, but he's out there fishing with us every time we go and wet a line. He's a great guy, was a fantastic man, and still is. Um, but he invented these, okay? He came up with the idea of, I need a reel that can disengage and has a free spill, two different drags on one reel. Now, if you're new to fishing, you don't know anything about these things, you gotta have one of these. I'm telling you now, these are the bomb. Okay, you've got a different drag here. You've got your front drag, normal spinning reel, front drag, yeah. Okay, nice and tough, nice and strong. 
let's have a look at this. We disengage, you've got a back drag now, and then that can just peel out ever so lightly. So the fish, or the big mulloway, the big jewfish, the big snapper, the big salmon, he will grab that bait and he can run at 100 miles an hour. All you have to do, turn the handle, it clicks, the back drag is then disengaged and it goes straight to the front drag. How cool is that? That is such a great outfit. I love the bait runner. You've got to have one of those with you. So good, I got two. Okay, and the rod, nice light rod. You don't have to go too heavy because you're spinning. It's multi-purpose, multi-tasking. You can cast, you can jig, you can live bait, you can do anything you want with it. They come in a variety of sizes. Have a look at this one. Note the guy's rod. Have a look at that. He's not going for something too heavy. He's going super light. Fishing is fun. And if you can go out there and experience stuff like this, you are in seventh heaven. So we're talking kingfish of around 25 kilos plus. On a rod, I wanna show you that tip. That is a white tip. Yeah, have a look at this. This is a white tip as well. This is the rod that catches fish like that. Now this is a rod that's not two, three, four, five hundred dollars. Oh God, no, it's a combo. This is the Shimano Snapper Special. It's rated to around six to eight kilos. But when you set your drag on a spinning reel and you set it correctly, and you can get that fish off the actual bommies or a wreck or whatever that pressure point is working on that you're fishing around, you will catch fish as big as that on a rod as light as that. That's pretty cool. Okay, where's my next one here? There we go. A fast current rig. A lot of people like to use the hook down the bottom, come up to a three-way swivel if you wanted to and you snap a lead. I like that rig, I think it's a great rig. It's a sliding rig. Your sinker will go up, it'll go back, and then your bait will then float up into the current. It's not a bad rig at all when you've got fast current. So you might wanna put 12 ounces or even 16 ounces of lead on. That's around three quarters to one pound. You can go a little bit more if you wanted to, 20 ounces, obviously it's a pound and a quarter. The more weight, you start to feel less bites, unless you're really deep water and chasing fish such as blue-eye trevella, uh, maybe harpooka, or of course, larger deep sea cod. And we start getting into the deep water live bait rigs now. This particular rig here, you've got your sinker, we have a Lumo bead, swivel, running down to around three to six feet of monofilament leader. Don't use braid as a leader. Braid as leader will not work. I should rephrase that. It probably would work, but it's not advisable. You need something that's a little bit more stronger, has a stretch in it, whereas braid has zero stretch. You want something that has that little bit of stretch. Have a look at this. This is 80 pound leader, okay? And if you just take a simple wrap, like so, and even just pushing that, you only got what, say, call that six inches or so, you're still getting that much stretch out of that much. So you imagine if you have around three to six feet, you're going to create more stretch. Therefore, it's a much better line to use. When you are anchoring and you're in front of that rock, now we've already established over the past half an hour, I guess it's been, is that We've got a, our bommy here, our rock here, or a wreck there, and the obviously the pressure point is in front. You wanna keep your bait in this area. 
One thing you're going to notice, as I mentioned earlier, you don't want to be fishing the back area unless you're after tuna. And what eats tuna? Generally sharks. Now tuna generally have to eat about a third of their body weight every day or they die. They don't have an air bladder, they sink to the bottom, and in comes old mate shark and, and they get eaten. So that's why tuna is so fanatic and fast and I guess just everywhere. They're so erratic, they're just all over the shop. So you have to have your bait in that region to catch the tuna. And of course, it doesn't matter what time of the day it is, you're going to hook up, they are really, really fast. Again, if they use up all their energy and they don't eat, they don't uh, swim too well. So we'll leave the back end fish alone. We wanna to go to the tasty top end of the fish and these reef fish. So what we do here, he's anchored up and he's got his current moving in a southwards direction. And of course that pressure is built up in front of the bombing. So the rig that he's using is a standard rig like this one here. So he's got his sinker going down to his hooks, okay? Basically, I've got some gang hooks on here but all he does is cast upstream. And when you cast upstream, you free spool out, the sink is going to fly down to the bottom, and as it hits the bottom, that bait is just going to gradually wallow down into the depths, okay? And as it gradually wallows down into the depths, any fish that is sitting on the bottom, near the bottom, mid-water, is going to smash that bait as it goes down. The sinker is already on the bottom, okay? The bait is now floating down. It's what we call float lining and it's a very good way of catching your fish. If you're, say you're out there now, you're going to uh, go cross one now. Whoops, where are we? We're going to free spool, and we're not going to be anchored. We're going to drift. So in this case here, you want to be fishing in an area where there's the wreck, and say you're drifting over a wreck, and you know it's coming up on the sounder, you see it on the sounder, and there's your, your bait, you know, the fish are there, you wanna get your line down. So what you do here is quite simple. You drop your line upstream as you drift down, you keep letting line out, keep letting line out, and when it hits the bottom, you then keep your line in free spool. Really important. So now you're above the wreck, your line is directly down on the wreck or just in front of it, and that's where you wanna keep it. So you keep your line out of gear or you reel out of gear and you just keep letting it out, letting it out. And when that fish picks it up, he's gonna spool that out really, really fast with your hand, lock it in gear, hit it and strike. You've got a fish on straight away. If you get to this stage here and you're down at say uh, number two, you'll see that large belly of line you're going too far, you're going past that impact zone. You need to be right on that central part. If you're going too far again, you start creating drag on your reel. Drag on your reel gives you false feeling of it all because it's so far away and you'll miss the hookup. Just keep rotating, go up, short drifts, up, short drifts, and you'll catch your fish. Pressure point fish, anywhere you are fishing around the world, they, 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 they differ everywhere you go but it's a honing zone of where you're going to, to head for yourself. If you're fishing an area, say in Port Phillip Bay, and then you, you notice there's a rock there, you know there's an upwelling, you know there's a snapper, and then you go and fish the waters of New Guinea, total opposite parts of the country and different international waters. Is you are there and you see an upwelling, you see the current, you see a log or whatever it might be, you're not gonna get a snapper, but you might get something different. Again, it's that area that's going to attract fish. So that fishing forensics, if you can put it into your head that that's what you're looking for, 
then that's what you're going to actually improve the chances of catching quality fish from kingfish through to snapper. These are beautiful fish and they love bombies and they come in close certain times of the year and light tackle once again makes that feeling and that adrenaline rush 10 out of 10. It's a really good thing to have. And even the Mulloway, we catch a lot of Mulloway around this amazing country of ours from Darwin all the way south to of course the bottom end of the country and they just change in different colors but they're still a very, very similar and same fish. And of course, the areas that you fish them in are areas where they're going to be caught from one end of the country to the other. Well, that's it for this week's Step Outside podcast. I hope you learned something with that fishing forensics. There's always something to learn, no matter how experienced you are. And as always say, make sure you keep a very open mind when someone's talking to you. Hey, we'll catch you next week. More Step Outside. Take it easy. Have a good one.